0: Well, take your copy of God's Word and turn to Romans chapter number 12, Romans chapter 12, and I want to talk to you about serving the Lord this morning. I want to talk to you about serving the Lord, and uh, I want you to think about the word service uh, just for a second maybe in your mind, Um, maybe change it to a different word, think about working for the Lord or laboring for the Lord, sweating for the Lord, getting wore out for the Lord, serving the Lord. Now, let's take a reading from chapter 12 Verses 4 to 8, as I talk about these things this morning. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 to 8. The scripture says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortations, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, and we trust the Lord to add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's make a short prayer together. Father, help me as I give this sermon, and you know, Lord, there's a lot of things, I've, there's a lot of things I'm trying to say in this sermon, help me to get the point across. With the utmost clarity, I pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. Now, the body of Christ, there's two ways to think about the body of Christ. One is the the body of Christ or the church universal, which is composed of all believers from all time. The London Confession says that the mystical church is composed of all the elect from all the ages. That means all the Old Testament believers, all the New Testament believers, that we're all one body in Christ. We're part of one thing. We're all united to Christ in vital union and, and really, in, in that sense, we are, this, this union we have with Christ is, is real, it's vital, and it's powerful and gives us life. And so, the Old Testament saints, so everybody who is, who is a Christian who has passed away from creation forward, all those persons are guess where? They're in heaven with the Lord Jesus. They're in heaven with him, they're physically, they're, no, they're not physically, they don't have physical bodies, they're there in an ethereal sense, right? They're there. And then on earth is the rest of the, the universal church, the people who been, have been saved, who are born again, living on the earth. So there are some in heaven and there are some down here. But amongst those people who are here on the earth, there is a thing called the visible church. The visible church or the local church. Now, the local church on earth is, not, is composed in a little different way than the universal church. All you have to do to be a part of the universal church is you got to be born again. That's all it takes. So the universal church is not called the Presbyterian universal church. Hallelujah for that. <laughs> it's not called the Baptist universal church, although I wish it was, don't you? <laughs> it's not called the, the Pentecostal universal church. It has, it has no denominational marker. It's just the body of Christ. But here on earth amongst the local churches, it's not quite the same way. It's not quite the same thing. It takes two more things to be a part of a visible church or a local church than just being saved. It takes two more things. If you decided today you wanted to be a member of Faith Baptist Church, which is a local church, it's a visible church, and some of the old writers would call it a particular church. So we are a church but we're separate from all the other churches in town, and we know that because when we have our business meeting at the end, they're not going to pop over and see what we're up to. They don't care about our business, and to be honest with you, we don't really care about their business either because they are particular churches. You may think of it like families, so like my family is the Basham family. You know, we're going we're gonna to do things at my house for Christmas that, you know, are for us, and you're going to do it for yours. There's, it's, it's unique. It's particular. Now, in the visible church, you have to be born again to be part of the visible church, and there's two more things that are required. The second thing is you've got to be baptized. I'm going to say it like this. You have to be baptized scripturally. There's only one kind of scriptural baptism, and that's to be baptized after you've made a profession of faith. The technical term is credo-baptism, is you have to be able to confess a creed. You have to make a profession of faith in Christ. And then upon the profession of your faith, you're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in the newness of his life. This is your public declaration to the world. I belong to Jesus. My old life is gone, and now I'm living for him the best I know how. So that's the second thing. So the first thing, let's review. The first thing you need is to what? You got to be born again. Everybody say born again. (laughs) There you go. The second thing is you got to be what? Got to be baptized. You Got to be scripturally baptized. Scripturally baptized. Because getting baptized as a baby is not scriptural baptism. It's not in the Bible one place. There's no hint. B.B. Warfield, the greatest proponent of pedo-baptism, infant baptism, he said himself, the argument for pedo-baptism is an argument from silence. Well, that's a trip. (laughs) And they will say, well, because there's no no prohibition against baptizing children, the Bible doesn't say do not baptize the child, therefore it's okay to baptize a child. A a precognizant, unbelieving infant. I don't want to get off into that stuff, but I'm just going to say simply, if the only baptism you have is infant baptism, you are as yet unbaptized according to the Bible, right? So you got to be saved, you got to be baptized scripturally. And then the third thing, what is the third thing? The third thing is you have to voluntarily, of your own free will, join a local fellowship. And that's the thing called mutual consent. If you want to be part of a local visible church, you have to say to that church, I want to be part of you. And then that local visible church, it has to say, we accept you. Now, we do this in different ways. Every church does it in different ways. The way we do it here is we talk We, we, we talk to you. And then at a business meeting, we'll vote to receive you as a member. We'll vote to make you part of the family. This is kind of the, these are the three things that are required. These are the things that are not required to be in the universal church. You can be a part of the universal church and not be baptized. You can be a part of the universal church in spite of everybody in the whole world. But to part of a visible church, the local church requires these two extra things. And they say, well, I don't really, I don't really agree with that. Well, then your argument is going to wind up being with Scripture. and, and not, Well, it's going to wind up being with me because uh, I'm, t- I'm the one talking. Now, the local church does things that the universal church cannot do. The local church does things that the universal church cannot do. And here's what it is. The local church can assemble every Lord's Day. It can assemble every Lord's Day. The universal church cannot assemble every Lord's Day because the universal church, they can't all get together every Lord's Day. Now, why is that? Because a lot of them are where? And a lot of them are where? I'm pointing down. I don't don't mean way down. (laughs) They're, They're on the earth. Now, the local church can assemble. The local church can fellowship together. The local church can worship God in a way the universal church cannot because we can all come together. We can have all the members present. The the church on earth takes responsibility for itself. The church on earth, the, the local church, it can observe the Lord's table and have communion together. The local church can discipline erring members. And the local church works together for the glory of God. These are things that the universal church cannot do. Cannot do. But only the local church on earth can do these things. So the the local church has some benefits that the universal church or some, some some opportunities that the universal church does not have. But we have them on earth. Now the question might be, why do we have these benefits and requirements and they don't? Because we need them more than they do. Because when you get to heaven, you're not going to have very many problems. Right? I mean, what's your main problem going to be in heaven? Well, nothing, right? It's going to be magnificent. But here on earth, how many of you got problems? Say amen. How many of you are married to your problems? Say amen. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> move we convene the discipline committee. <laughs> <laughs> so on earth, you could, but we have problems on earth, so we need, we need each other to get through these problems. We need one another. We need one another. And I'll get to this in a little bit. Now, within the local church, this is the place where we receive the benefit of Christ's ascension gifts. Now I read this to the guys yesterday at the Bible study. Turn to Ephesians chapter four and listen to this reading here. This reading. These are. This is a description by the apostle Paul of the gifts that Christ gave to the visible church when he ascends back to heaven. Verse eleven, Ephesians four eleven. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to the church, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro from the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes." So the local church has these, these particular gifts. Now, it mentions prophets, apostles, prophets, and evangelists. My own particular opinion about these is that, no this, is, no, this part, this is kind of a universal opinion. Apostles and prophets as an office, these offices have passed away. Most conservative Bible teaching churches and scholars say apostles and prophets are no longer for this day. I think they should go one step further and say that evangelists are no longer for this day. And all we have left are the, are the final two offices, which are probably really just one office, pastor and teacher. But these are, these are gifts given to the local churches. you say, well, they're given to the big church, too, to the whole body of Christ on earth. That's true. But their ministries are only conducted within the visible local churches. Therefore, I am the pastor of only one church in, in the great city of Sheboygan. I'm the pastor of Faith Baptist Church. And only the members of Faith Baptist Church should really pay attention to what I say because I'm their pastor. The people who go to Life Worship Center or to St. Paul's or St. Thomas's or St. John's or St. Mary's or any other church, they don't have to listen to me at all because I ain't their pastor. You could think think of it like like this, I ain't their daddy. You say, well, that's a weird thing to say. Well, you have to think about these terms that are used to describe a pastor in the New Testament. The three, the three words that are used to describe a pastor is, is, uh, is uh, I have to ask Michael for help probably, it's presbyteros, it's presbyter and what's the other one? Do you remember? I don't remember. One, one talks about elder. I can't remember the word for elder. There's bishop, elder, and pastor. The Greek word for pastor is poimen, which means to tend sheep. Presbyteros is, is bishop, and then elder. What is elder? It must be Terry. That must be the Greek word. But the idea of being an elder is a fatherly oversight of a congregation, a fatherly oversight. Now, I didn't understand this as much when I was younger as I do now, because as a father, I've had, I've, you know, our kids are, we have two kids who are grown, basically, they're on their own, actually three kids are basically grown, and the way you interact with those kids changes. When they were little, I just yelled at them, told them to be quiet. But then when they got older, you, you, you deal with them differently. Dr. Peter Masters, now if you're a parent here, I recommend Googling this. Uh, Peter Masters has this little thing, it's called, um, it's an article, How to Avoid Long-Term Resentment with Teenage Children. It's kind of, and he talks about how when your kids become teenagers, you, you, have to, you have to treat them in a different way. You have to reason with them and talk with them differently. You have to be more circumspect in your dealings with them. It's a fascinating article, and really, uh, I've tried to apply it in my own deals with my kids. But as a pastor, you have a fatherly outlook over the congregation. You say, well, how can you who are so young and handsome (laughs) be the father of all of us? Well, it's not, it's not, it's just an attitude, a paternal attitude over the church. Now, you only see this in the local church. I don't feel about you as I feel, I don't feel the same about members of other churches. Now, when you talk to pastors, y'all pastors, they all, they all get this. They all understand it usually. Now, the genius of Jesus Christ was that he instructed the apostles to preach the gospel in the world, to baptize believers, and then organize those baptized believers into visible churches. Now, the visible church is an outpost from heaven, and whenever there's a lo- and that's how Christianity has spread across the world, because of the establishment of local churches. It's an outpost. It's there for a long time. The life of a church is about 80 years. 80 years. And you can touch a lot of lives in 80 years. So these visible churches have spread across the world, keeping Christianity going decade by decade and century by century. Now, the local churches, because they're composed of people who are Christians, who are baptized, who want to be members... The local church can still have difficulties because everybody who's saved, everybody who's baptized, and everybody who joins the church is still a sinner. Which means sometimes we act like knuckleheads. When I lived in Arkansas, years before Mitchell was born, I, was a, I, gave, I worked for a ranch called Panther Valley Ranch, and I gave horseback rides. I guided horseback rides through the, the, the Wachita. Up there, called Valley Wachita Mountains. There, at Hot Springs, the Wachita Mountains, and, uh, and 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 they were. So I rode a horse about forty miles a day, and it was you know that, that's when I really learned to. I really learned to hate horses. <laughs> <laughs> and I would have this speech I would give to people because they would all want to ride, and, you know, just, and they, they would just pay to ride. I'd give everybody inside the little paddock, and I'd say, "This is a horse." You know, and these teeth can bite chunks out of you. These feet can kick the life out of you. I said, these are dangerous animals. And the worst part about them is you never know when they're going to act up. Because you can be riding along on your horse, just clumpity, clumpity, clumpity. And all of a sudden, that horse take a, get a wild hare or get a burr under his saddle and just start crow-hopping. I'm not going to illustrate that, but just chew, 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 and try to buck you off. And it's such a crazy thing to experience. Have you've been, you ever been riding a horse, just going along, minding your own business, and all of a sudden it goes crazy? Well, I have, and it ain't no fun. And you don't really expect it. Now, in one sense, Christian people are like horses. They're great. Aren't Christians great? But every once in a while, one of them will get a little bit saucy. Will get a little bent out of shape. Get a burr under their saddle. And they act up. And, and, and sadly, that's all, that's all people think about churches sometimes. Is, eh, people always acting up. Well, anytime you have a church, you're going to have difficulties. So the local church can be really wonderful... Or it can really be unwonderful. Now, if you stay to church long enough, you're going to go through all the cycles. You're going to go through the good times and the bad times. But you got, you stick around, you'll see good times come and bad times go, and vice versa. You'll see it. It's a cycle. Last Sunday, I said that church was like a marriage. You know, it's 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 not always, you know, champagne and roses. Sometimes it's you know macaroni and tuna, which is a fascinating meal. Now, so the local church, Paul writes here, and he says the local church is a body, as we have one body and many members. Now, in this local church, there are people there who have giftings, who have functions. Now, the gifts are functions that Paul mentions in Romans 12 and that he mentions in 1 Corinthians 12, these functions, these gifts, are for the primary benefit of of The local church, the primary benefit of the local church, every hymn that you sing, every old hymn that you sing was written for the edification and joy of a local church. Every time we sing a song by my friend Don Fortner, I would say, you know, my old friend Don wrote this. Don wrote a hymn a week for his own church, and he only published them later when other people started saying, man, we, we heard about this song you've written, and so but it was written primarily for the local church. In a, in, in 200 years ago, Baptist preachers in England, they would write a brand new hymn every week for their churches to sing based on the sermon they were preaching that week. Those guys had way too much time on their hands. They were writing songs every week. They weren't writing new music, just new lyrics. Now, the local church... It has These gifts are for, primarily for the benefit of the local church. Now, I can say this with, with great assurance and great certainty because the Apostle Paul's letters, all of them were written to specific churches. And then in the book of Acts, it shows us the establishment of individual churches and the importance and the priority of individual, localized, visible churches. And then in the history of the Christian church on the earth, we see how the early church leaders and scholars were men who served the body of Christ, a.k.a. the visible, particular churches to which they belonged. Now, these giftings, are for the benefit of the body, primarily for the local church. Now look at your Bible there at, verses, at verse 3. We have to take note of this about the attitude. We have to have a humble attitude because sometimes our giftings can make us a little big-headed. We should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Be humble. Pride destroys the local church. And churches have become proud about all kinds of things. Churches can become proud of their doctrine. We're the only church that preaches the right thing in the whole world. I was in my office in, Arkansas, in Oklahoma one time. A lady called me and she said, I just saw that you wrote an article for this paper. And she said, it was, it's, called a, it's called Hanson's Herald. And I said, I wrote an article for Hanson's Herald? She said, yes, it was this article you wrote on indirect excommunication. Now, that's a fun article, isn't it? Indirect excommunication. Maybe someday I'll give a sermon about it. But I told her, I said, well, ma'am, I don't remember submitting in an article to Hanson's Herald, Herald. She said, well, it's in there. And come to find out this guy had gotten my article that I'd written for my own paper called The Baptist Watchman. Not to be confused with the Watchtower Society, but the Baptist Watchman, which was entitled Indirect Excommunication. And he, this guy thought it was such a great article, he ripped it off and stuck it in his uh, paper. That's when I learned about putting the little, that little C in a circle. Copyright, that belongs to me. Well, at least he put my name on it. I was thankful for that. And so she called and she said, I think be- that you might be a church that believes what we believe. And I said, well, I doubt it. Because these kind of phone calls are always weird. Here's what she said. She said, we live in North Texas, about three and a half hours from you. And she said, we might, Mount Pleasant, Texas of all places. She said, I think we could probably swing driving up there every other Sunday and going to church with you. And I said, great. Isn't that what you want to say about people? As a pastor, I have people who come three hours just to hear me preach. One way. I mean, what a brag, you know? What a brag. But I said, why I said, but I have a friend in Mount Pleasant, Texas. A retired dentist who has a little Reformed Baptist church. And I said, why don't you go over there to Mark Green's church? Oh, I know him. We know him. Did you know he's been divorced and remarried? Ooh. I said, yes. <laughs> well, don't you think that's wrong? I said, well, not really. Now, biblically, you mean you don't believe that you know you can only have one marriage in your whole life unless your spouse dies? I said, No, well, I guess we won't be coming. <laughs> I said, Well, where do you go to church? She said, We either go to Atlanta, Georgia, or we go somewhere up in Montana, Mount Pleasant, Texas which is down near Greenwood, Texas, which is where Audie Murphy is from, right on I-30. Mount Pleasant, Texas, that's where she lives. But when they go to church, they go to Atlanta, Georgia, or they go to Montana. Now, each of these drives are pretty long. And I said, how often do you go? She said, about once a year. (laughs) Once a year to Atlanta or once a year to Montana? I said, ma'am, that is nuts. She said, "Because there's only there's only some certain churches that believe they can tick all the boxes for us." And I sat down on my computer that afternoon and I wrote a, an article for my paper, the Baptist Watchman, called "Too Particular." <laughs> Don't commit the sin of being too particular. Because she had gotten too. But these, but you know, but this is what happens to people. They become so arrogant, so proud. Proud of their orthodoxy. Churches have become proud about all kinds of things. Churches have become proud of their, of their property. They can be, become proud, of, proud of, their, of their financial assets. This is a problem with the church of Laodicea. They said, we're rich, and we don't need anything. But they didn't have Christ. They had lost the essential presence of Christ. And so you have Christ there in the reading. Really I told you last Sunday, standing outside the door knocking. Christ, picture it in your mind, Christ knocking on the door of the church saying, please let me in. What if we're here, gathered here worshiping, and we hear a knock on the door, and it's Jesus saying, hey, I want to come in. And i like, I don't think we could, we're too good for you, Jesus. We can't really take you. You know, you don't have all your doctrinal stuff like we like it. Churches become so arrogant. You say, well, how could somebody become so arrogant? This is the fallen nature. Remember Peter? Jesus says, I'm gonna go down to Jerusalem and they're gonna kill me, and three days on the third day I'm gonna rise again. And what does Peter say to him? Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. No way. People have become very arrogant. Churches can as well. Now, the way you can spot a church that is becoming arrogant is that they begin to ignore God's Word. They begin to ignore God's Word. This is when they become too arrogant. They don't want to listen to God's Word. And God's Word is the Bible. And so for us as a local, visible, particular church, we need to double down in our devotion to God's Word as a church and as individuals. We need to embrace what Paul says in Romans, let God be true and every man a liar. Now, as a preacher, there's a certain level of uh, I don't know how to say it. You know, it's like this: If God's word said it, that's enough. But if I can show it to you from God's word, that should be good enough, right? If I can show you from God's word that only believers' baptism is scriptural, that should be enough, right? If I can show you eternal security from the Bible, that should be enough, right? These things, these, this should be enough to say what God's word says. Now, sometimes the problem is, is, well, if I believe what God's word says, that means that somebody that I love probably is unbaptized or might even be unsaved. And people, there's a lot of, there's a lot of feelings about that. I was listening to a preacher preach one time, and he was raised in the Roman Catholic faith. And this is a very Catholic area here in northern Michigan. Way more Catholic than Oklahoma, Arkansas, or Texas, or Mississippi. I mean, I was, t- I was talking to somebody this week at the, uh, at the play at the high school. After service, we were talking about being in the Advent season. And I said, you know, I don't really know too much about the Advent season. They said, <gasps> what mean is this? I was like, well, I don't know beans about it. Because down south, especially our, every county, every county in Oklahoma is majority Baptist. Every single county. Every single county in Arkansas except Nevada County is majority Baptist. I pastored in Hope, Arkansas, the birthplace. Is it birthplace? The birthplace of Bill Clinton. Hey, that's something. You can go to you can go you can go to Hope, Arkansas, and you can take a pilgrimage. Not a pilgrimage, a pilgrimage. You can go around and see all the sites, you know. You can see Vince Foster's house. I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> Vince Foster was his next door neighbor as a kid. Mac McClarty, Chief of Staff, Clinton's first Chief of Staff, all from Hope, Arkansas. And then you have Mike Huckabee, Hope, Arkansas. I pastored Bill Clinton's first cousin and Mike Huckabee's first cousin. <gasps> <laughs> Beat that, <laughs> you know. Rex Horn, Emmanuel Baptist Church, Little Rock, Arkansas, he pastored Bill Clinton himself. Bill Clinton was a Baptist. I mean, not one of our finer moments. For his moral stuff, not the other stuff, for his moral stuff. I probably should just stop right now. Because <laughs> I've forgotten what I was saying. That's how I get to goofing off. Catholics. Yeah, there's there's, there's 50, 50 Baptist churches in Hope, Arkansas. Thank you, John. 50 Baptist churches in Hope, Arkansas. 50. That's in the city limits. 10,000 people. 50. And so it's a, it's a different world. But this preacher was preaching about he grew up in Ohio in a Roman Catholic area. And he said the first time he, he heard the gospel two things became clear to him. First, is that he was not going to heaven when he died. And second, that everybody he had known in his family who had passed away before him probably did not go to heaven. But that's what the, Bible te- what the Bible teaches. What The Bible says there's one way to heaven. There's one way to appropriate salvation, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. There's no admixture of anything. It's through faith in Christ and Christ alone. So in the local church, we have to have a devotion to God's word that says, I don't care if a hair lips the devil or anybody else. God's word is true. Let God's word be true in every man a liar. Now, in the church, a church, a body is a a collection of parts. And each part has unique functions within the body. Now, this metaphor that God uses is perfect because we all know what a body is. We all have a body, and we know that our body has different parts, and some parts of our body do certain things. They have unique functions, and all these individual parts are dependent on one another. And so the local church, we need to realize that we are dependent on each other, and we we all have gifts or jobs that other people don't have. And a body in harmony and cooperation is a wonderful thing. But when parts of your body quit working, it gets kind of yucky. It gets kind of yucky. Like, right, like, I'm going to talk about that. Now, the, a body, I know we've all experienced this. I mean, you got some, some, one part of your body that doesn't seem to work like it used to. Yeah. We all got them. And it, and, and it kind of annoys us. Like I've been trying to not get bifocals for a year. I'm trying to not get bifocals. I keep doing this, to see stuff here. I didn't put them down to see you guys, right? I don't want to get bifocals because we get bifocals when you're old, right? <laughs> and I want to stay as young as I can. So the body starts to bother you. Now, in the local church. When parts of the body start to get sick or function poorly, it disrupts the harmony of the whole body. Usually churches start really good, and then they have problems as they go along. And this often happens when one member of the body, one part of the body, becomes diseased or rotten. And then the poisoned attitude can spread to other people within the local church. And this causes the whole body distress and pain. And it can get much worse if it's not dealt with. And so remember, this is a metaphor. Paul says the church is a body where members in particular, members one of another, dependent on one another, will have certain roles to carry out. But if we don't do our jobs, if we don't fulfill our giftings, if we don't use these things, then the the body suffers. Now, dealing with problems in the church is usually because there's something wrong with the body. And if we follow this body metaphor, here is a, a, a range of treatments you'll see in a, in a local church with the members. So sometimes there are splinter pulling. You ever had a splinter pulled out of your finger? You ever had your finger just start hurting? You're like, why is my finger hurting? You start looking at it and you find out that what? There's a little sliver of something in there. And something very small can make you very uncomfortable, can't it? And once you pull it out, it's easy. Getting a splinter yanked out is probably the easiest surgery you can have. You can even do it yourself. Or if you're a dad, you can do it to your own kids. So that's small stuff, right? But it can be something like an ingrown toenail. More severe, cause a lot more discomfort, but can still be dealt with relatively easily. When me and Valerie were newly married, married a couple years, we, was, we, were, we were flat broke, and that ain't no joke. And she had an ingrown toenail. And I said, Valerie, she's like, usually my dad would take me to a podiatrist, you know, and they would numb my toe and cut it out. And I said, I'll cut it out. <laughs> so I tried. And when the shrieks and squeals got so high, you know, it was actually when she said, Oh God. Because that's Valerie doesn't she doesn't use the Lord's name in vain. She never just says God in a reverent fashion. I mean when she said it, I was like, time to stop the train, baby. So it can cause some it can cause some discomfort. It's a small thing, but it had to be done. And you keep the metaphor going. Sometimes your whole health is bad because you have the wrong diet. Churches churches can become can get unhealthy if they have the wrong diet. What a church needs is God's Word. That's what a church needs is God's Word, not platitudes, not cliches. It needs God's Word. It's like vegetables. You need them. It's like a steak. You need it sometimes. You need God's Word. You need the straight Word of God, right? If you have a bad diet, your body gets out of whack. And sometimes maybe you have to have amputation, have something taken off. All these measures, these are all the kind of, of metaphors we find as we think about the body, the local church. Even you say, well, amputation? How does that happen? In a church, sometimes you have, there are people who have to be excommunicated from the fellowship or removed from the fellowship because their sins become so grievous. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about these five main sins that can get you in big trouble in your local church. Now, unlike the body, if you, amputate, if you amputate your leg, you're not getting it back, right? You're not getting it back. But in a church, if somebody gets excommunicated from the fellowship, they can, all, they can come back. They can come back. And this happens. These are necessary things. Now, I've been a pastor uh, for 20 years. You know how many people I've excommunicated or had to have removed from the membership? Uh, Only one. Only one for direct sin. Lots of people for non-attendance, because that's what we do through the years. If they quit coming to church, we take them off the roll. That's easy. Only one. Twenty years, only one. But you know how many times I've had to talk to somebody about their sins? One time, this girl she came to me and she she called me up and she said that she had. She said, "I'm pregnant. She wasn't married." And I, I said, well, you know, that's not the way you're supposed to do it, right? I know. I said, so you've been having sex without a husband? I said, that's wrong. That's a sin. I know. I said, now you've got a bait, Now you're pregnant. Ah. I said, "What are you, you want to stay in the church? Yes, I don't want to leave my church. So I'll just come on Wednesday night. And we'll tell the church. Tell them you're sorry. Cause she was a member of the church. And then we'll go forward. She came forward. And that Wednesday night, she came in. It was, it was really a reset button for her spiritually. Because she had gotten away from the Lord. You don't, you don't start committing fornication when you're walking with Jesus. You See, she had drifted so far away from the Lord that she let down her moral guard. I can remember that Wednesday night. She came forward. She was crying. I stood beside her. I said, I'll do all the talking. She came forward. She stood there beside me, tears in her eyes. And I said, you know, she's, she's been doing some sinning. She's going to have a baby. She wants to get right with the Lord and with the church. And because we we're a Baptist church and we did things in this weird Baptist way, I said, is there a motion to forgive? <laughs> yes. Is there a second? Yes. I said, all in favor of forgiving her, show her you forgive her. That whole congregation lined up single file down the aisle. And I watched every single person in that church come up there and wrap their arms around her neck and tell her they loved her and they were praying for her. And she was crying and they were, we were all boohooing Because what had happened was there was reconciliation. A part of our body, even unbeknownst to us, had become, had become corrupted by sin. And now she wants to meet, and and then the greatest thing beyond that was we had a baby shower for her, and she she didn't marry the dude. He wasn't the kind of guy you want to marry, to be honest. We had a baby shower for her, and you know what those people did? They opened up their wallets, and they outpoured gifts for this child. This little girl was a child of the church now. What a healing thing it was. And that's the way church, that's the way the church is supposed to function. With this love and understanding. Because we have to look around at each other and remember that we're all sinners, right? And we have to expect somebody in the church to be sinning at any given time. Only Jesus knows the sins that we're all up to. Right? And we shouldn't be surprised that when, when sinful behaviors pop up sometimes. But when they do pop up. We can't just pretend they're not there. It's not good for us. When you know there's a splinter in your finger, you've got to get it out. But these are things that take place in the local church. Now, in verse number 6, the Apostle Paul says here that these giftings that we have, they should be used. To let us use them. Let us use them. Now, it's my, my intention after Christmas is to talk about the the gifts. There's there's two categories of gifts. There's serving gifts and there's sign gifts. And the first thing we have to talk about are the sign gifts. Because the sign gifts are the most abused of all the gifts. They're the most misunderstood. The sign gifts. When I say sign gifts, I mean speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophesying, etc. The sign gifts, the charismatic gifts... These things are all so abused and misunderstood. So we have to talk about that. And then we can talk about the serving gifts. The gifts that God has given to us to serve him. How we're supposed to be as his servants. So I'll talk about that probably all through January. and then I was hoping to finish Romans by January, but we're not going to make it unless you guys want to come back, you know, every night this week. What do you say? Well, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time to be together. I pray that you bless your words to our heart. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.